I mean, yeah, you can use the fractional excretion of urea if you are already on diuretics. But again, as I said, to me, it's very academic. It does not really influence my patient management is how I would phrase it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Pete's Grit Podcast. My name is Zach Hodges. I'm a current pediatric ICU fellow at UT Southwestern in Dallas. And I'm Alice Shanklin. I'm a critical care fellow at Children's National in Washington, D.C. Alice, will you remind our listeners what we do here at the Pete's Grit Podcast? Of course. We are a collaborative educational PICU podcast. We work with pediatric critical care educators around the world to create high-yield blog and podcast episodes on core PICU topics. And listeners, if you are a pediatric critical care provider and would like to become involved in this project, be sure to reach out to us by email or on our website at pedscrit.com. We're hoping to add to the online community of Peds ICU learners by collaborating with guest educators on their favorite critical care topics. Yes, please reach out to us at pedscritpodcast at gmail.com anytime. Now, Zach, who are we talking with today? Today, we're excited to have Drs. Arch Nadar and Molly McGetrick with us. Archon is an associate professor of pediatrics and practicing pediatric intensivist here at Children's Medical Center and UT Southwestern in Dallas. And Molly recently completed her pediatric critical care fellowship training at UT Southwestern and is a current pediatric cardiovascular ICU fellow at Texas Children's. Yes, and this is part two of a three episode series. Today, we are going to work through a case of acute kidney injury to discuss typical workup and review common limitations of our labs to identify AKI. We also go through a deep dive of the Kadigo guidance in diagnosing AKI. So we've covered a lot of the fundamentals of acute kidney injury. Alice and I have a better understanding of the basic pathophysiology. I think for our listeners and for us, let's uh, get more practical. Maybe we'll review some cases. Alice, you want to present our first case? Yeah. So here we've got a 15-year-old boy who collapses during football practice in the heat of August. On arrival, he is fluid resuscitated and screening labs were obtained. Of note, his BUN is 80, his creatinine is 3.4, his CK is 25,000, and the urinalysis shows the presence of blood without red blood cells, meaning that he probably is, has myoglobin in his urine. So what kind of fluids did he receive? Oh, what's <laughs> his chloride? What is his chloride? <laughs> Yeah, he's got two liters of sodium chloride for sure. Oh, no. All right. So thinking about this patient, dehydration is probably the cause of his AKI. Rhabdomyolysis and cardiac causes should also be considered, especially in the setting of his elevated CK. What's the typical evaluation that we would want to start with? Yeah, so typically we start with baseline electrolytes, your BUN and creatinine, and then depending on how unstable the patient is and what these initial labs show, then we'll monitor these every six to eight hours for changes. We got a urinalysis in this patient, which is good. The presence of myoglobin in the urine is concerning for muscle breakdown, and he's likely to have electrolyte abnormalities. So he'll need some IV fluids without K and telemetry monitoring. So urinalysis, we like to say, is kind of like a poor man or poor woman's renal biopsy, which could be helpful. It shows pH, which may be altered if there's any kind of degree of RTA, specific gravity, the presence or absence of white cells and blood. The presence of blood without red blood cells suggests that myoglobin may be present if you can't directly measure it. Muddy brown casts, although we rarely see these, can suggest acute tubular necrosis, while white cells may suggest the presence of acute interstitial nephritis. Urine electrolytes can be helpful if you're trying to distinguish between pre-renal and intrinsic renal disease, but they may be more helpful in the setting of electrolyte disturbances, and, and this patient may not provide much more value. And then 
ultimately, uh, urine output in this patient is going to be very important. So I would really highly consider placing a Foley to get accurate urine output and watch for any kind of decline that may occur after the injury. Bladder renal ultrasonography could be performed to look for any kind of anatomic abnormalities. Molly, did you mention that you would put this kid in the ICU? Yeah, I don't think the floor would be comfortable with the creatinine of 3.5 and a CK of 25,000. <laughs> yeah, and the serial monitoring is the way to go for not just the renal indices, but also the CK. Because myoglobin is a known toxin, it will really damage your renal tubules. So the goal is to wash it out. And so fluids should be given at one and a half times maintenance, maybe double the maintenance and follow the numbers and see which way they are headed. But Molly's right that BUNM creatinine every six to hours would be needed to determine if this patient is going to recover or we are going to need renal replacement therapy. Sure. And as we've already mentioned in this conversation, this is a very bad marker for his overall prognosis, right? A very severe acute kidney injury could lead to bad outcomes, prolonged hospital stay, even mortality. So ICU seems like a great place for this patient. I also gather that we can actually learn a lot of information from this initial laboratory and you know, ultrasound workup. I want to kind of focus in on some of the more common tests that we do, first with being serum creatinine. So this is what we think of most commonly when we think about kidney function. But will you tell us, I know there's, it's not a perfect test. Will you tell us about some of the limitations we run into in the PICU with this? I think I personally don't like serum creatinine. It's a very late marker of renal injury. We miss renal injury if we are just focused on serum creatinine. But unfortunately, currently, we don't have other markers which can be generally used in the general patient population and help identify renal injury early. Why is serum creatinine not a good marker? Because I think it depends on several things. It depends on your muscle mass. It's affected by the muscle mass of the patient. It also depends upon the fluid balance and the degree of renal tubular secretion. So those are the factors that impact your serum creatinine. In the neonatal population, especially because it crosses the placental barrier, it is a reflection of the maternal creatinine, so it's not useful at all. And I have to mention that certain drugs can also alter it because creatinine is filtered at the glomerulus, but it is also secreted at the tubule. So some drugs like Bactrim can decrease the secretion component, and so it can cause elevation of the creatinine without decline in the GFR. So those are the things that we have to factor into play. I think I personally, and a lot in our setting, we use serum, cystatin C as a marker to identify renal injury, especially true in the neonatal population because it does not cross the placental barrier and it can indicate injury as early as within a few hours, six to eight hours. It can rise and can indicate that the kidneys are getting damaged. So serum creatinine is what is used a lot. And in fact, the KDI geo criteria also use it to define and stratify AKI. But I think we are in need of certain other strategies to determine injury early. Also urine output, once again, coming back to my fifth vital sign, maybe use that as a way of identifying renal injury early. It's so interesting. The fact that Bactrim doesn't affect creatinine at the glomerulus, it doesn't affect the glomerular filtration rate and instead just affects the secretion later. And so you'll have more creatinine in your body and no renal injury from Bactrim. 
Yeah, correct. And you know, so statin C is a relatively new marker that we've been using here. And during my fellowship, we started using it later on. But as Dr. Dar says, it is more sensitive to changes in your GFR and it'll peak earlier than your creatinine. So really, this is something that I think we should be using more commonly. I think some of the limitations is the turnaround time uh, is not as quick as getting a creatinine back. So trending it could be a little bit more difficult, but I think this is going to improve with time. There are other markers that have been studied and in certain studies, they will use things like NGAL, beta-2 microglobulin, but for the most part, they're research-based at this time and only could find a certain institutions, but I suspect over the next few years, these will be more commonplace across the country. NGAL is used in quite a few centers already. It's awaiting FDA approval, so we have not introduced it in our institute, but there are a lot of health systems across the country that are using it for both the adult and the pediatric population. It's a urine study, so it's very easy to do, and it's a quick turnaround time. So for me, the take-home point from what I've heard so far about creatinine is it's insensitive. So a patient who's very high risk for acute kidney injury, if they have a normal creatinine in the first 6 to 12 hours of their hospital stay, we can't rely on that to say they don't have a kidney injury. Is that right? Yeah, don't wait for the creatinine to rise and then say, oh, this is AKI. Look for other things. And I think the easiest thing to look for is your urine output. If that's falling, if that's not within the box, then I think that's a very early indicator that you need to be testing for sedum cystatin and see if your institute offers that as an option. Sure. Very good. Molly, you have anything else to add? Yeah, I was going to say there's a resident handbook in our room and it says your patient pees everything's going well. You get to pee, it's a bonus. <laughs> um, I don't think any conversation of a laboratory workup for an AKI can go without at least mentioning the fractional excretion of sodium, which kind of gives me flashbacks <laughs> to like uh, nephrology rotations, but he has an AKI podcast. Why not unpack that here? So is this useful for us? Do we use this? What are your thoughts? I think it's useful. It's not always practical in all of our patients, but when we're trying to distinguish between intrinsic and pre-renal disease and sometimes post-renal disease, it is helpful to at least calculate it as a baseline. So interestingly, FINA has been shown to be most accurate in patients who are already oliguric, but essentially what your FINA is, is it's your urine sodium times your serum creatinine over your serum sodium times your urinary creatinine. The normal values are is a FINA greater than 1% indicates intrinsic renal disease, while a FINA less than 1% indicates more pre-renal etiologies. And this is because the kidney's response to decreased perfusion is going to be to absorb sodium and then water along with it. We tend to think of greater than 3% to suggest severe obstruction to urinary drainage. I was just going to say that it's something that is really loved by the nephrologist, but as an intensivist, I hear that the FINA is in this range, but it doesn't really impact our management strategy. There are many features of ICU care that can affect this. So the use of diuresis is a big one. A lot of our patients are going to be on Lasix. And so our FINA is not going to be accurate in that instance. And then patients receiving IV fluids, this is also going to affect their FINAs. Sodium-rich IV fluids can induce naturesis. I mean, yeah, you can use the fractional excretion of urea if you're already on diuretics. But again, as I said, to me, it's very academic. It does not really influence my patient management is how I would phrase it. You know, to me, it seems like when you have that patient who has an acute kidney injury, you're going to optimize their volume status, you're going to decompress their bladder, and you're going to take off nephrotoxins. And regardless of what the FINA is, you're still going to do all of those things. Is that right? 
Correct. It just tells me prognosticate, like maybe how long, if it's an intrinsic renal damage, what can I tell the family, what to expect after renal injury. Maybe that component affects how I phrase things to the family. But besides that, bedside management to me does not depend on the phenom. Yeah, I would say that the use of FENA could be helpful in the patient without any underlying kidney disease. They're not on any diuretics who presents with oliguria and maybe a mildly elevated creatinine. And I'm trying to decide, is this AKI pre-renal where they may benefit from receiving more fluid resuscitation or is it more an intrinsic renal injury in the sense that I need to be cautious about overloading this patient with fluids? And ideally, this patient would not have received a ton of normal saline resuscitation in the ER for their elevated creatinine and had not been on medications that would cause any kind of diuresis or naturesis. So like your initial diagnostic workup and and getting to that first diagnosis, how are we going to treat this moving forward? Correct. You know, as an aside, we have to say the people who branded normal saline have the best branding idea ever by putting the word normal in there. Going to get so many True. more customers. No, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> classic saline, isotonic saline. I also want to say that it's easy. I think that something happens with junior trainees, right? Like I read this one opinion piece about a chloride above 115 really changing your outcomes. And we have this whole body of work that made normal saline the standard of care. So I wanted to acknowledge that I've been biased and it's easy to get excited about something when you're new, right? Well, there are trials happening currently, right? Like there's a multi-center trial patients with sepsis who are being randomized to normal saline versus plasma light. And that's a big trial, which is multi-center, multinational. So hopefully we'll have some true the randomized control trial. So we should have some good evidence coming out of it and that can hopefully impact care. One of the leading PIs for the trial is also one of the leading authors for the surviving sepsis campaign. So based on this trial, we anticipate changes to the guidelines. Yeah. And I will say that chloride is something that we talk about a lot, especially when they have a metabolic acidosis. Is We see a lot of hyperchloremia associated with non-anion gap metabolic acidosis. And so if you have a patient who's on chloride-containing fluids and they have a non-anion-gap metabolic acidosis essentially will try to take them off of the chloride and see if it improves. And sometimes it does. Sure. Seems like we could go on and on about this, but shall we uh, move forward? We introduced KDIGO earlier in our conversation. I want to kind of focus back in on that. So, you know, how much of an elevated creatinine or decrease in urine output is significant? Like what point do we call it AKI? And then is the degree of abnormality, is that clinically significant? It's a nice staging system that KDIGO has developed. And I think it's quite similar to the Akin and the Rifle criteria that were in vogue earlier. I think they stage AKI into three stages, stage one, stage two, and stage three. And there are two factors that they look at, serum creatinine and urine output. So serum creatinine of 1.5 to 1.9 times the baseline or an increase of greater than 0.3 is considered to fall into the stage one. Stage 2 for creatinine is 2 to 2.9 times the baseline. And stage 3 is 3 times the baseline or increase in the serum creatinine to greater than 4 or need for initiation of renal replacement therapy. So that is how they use the creatinine criteria for staging AKI. They also look at the urine output. And if it's less than 0.5 per kilo per hour for 6 to 12 hours, that's stage 1. That's why I always harp on what's the urine output every time I see a fellow when we are on a 24-hour shift. 
And then the stage two is less than 0.5 per kilo per hour for greater than or more than 12 hours. And then stage three is less than 0.3 per kilo per hour for greater than 24 hours, or you've been anuric for greater than 12 hours. So what I want the message for the trainees to be is that if you have not paid attention to urine output for six hours, I think you are behind the bar because you could have missed out on AKI. It's possible that it's a teenage patient who probably sleeps through the night and is not going to wake up. But you need to make sure that's the case and you've not dropped a ball and missed out on AKI if you've not noted the urine output for six hours. You know, this is a bit outside the guideline, but is there any good published data when using other markers? Like I think you mentioned earlier, you use cystatin C. Is there any line in the sands that we draw where say one is abnormal versus one is normal? Or is it just a trend? I think it's a trend. Everything is a trend usually, right? There's not very strong absolute values as far as AKI goes, right? That's the problem. It's very subtle. It's not in your face. Say a lot of the times you're not going to know what your baseline creatinine is for the patient. So using the 1.5 to 1.9 times baseline could be difficult. And we all know that there are age-related factors that are going to affect your creatinine as well as dietary intake and medications. And then some of the other markers too are not well studied or well established enough for us to use as a hard and fast cut point for AKI. Thank you for listening to this episode of PeepScript. Please remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as a replacement for medical advice. The views expressed during this episode by hosts and our guests are their own and do not reflect the official position of their institutions. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at pedscriptpodcasts at gmail.com. Check out pedscript.com for detailed show notes and visit at critpeds on Twitter and at pedscript on Instagram for real-time show updates. Thanks again for listening.